The Teachers College at Emporia State University presents How We Teach This. Welcome to the podcast. I have with me today our guest, Dr. Cecil Short. Uh, he is an assistant professor at Emporia State University, and he's here to talk to us today about artificial intelligence and generative AI, more targeted and specific. Would you give a minute and introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about uh, your educational background? Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Dr. Cecil Short, Assistant Professor and Director of Secondary Education at Emporia State University. My degree is a PhD in Instructional Psychology and Technology from Brigham Young University. I've been at ESU now for, this is my second year. Before this, I spent a year as an instructor in the uh, Blended and Personalized Learning Degree Program at Texas Tech University. And so uh, I do a lot of things in a lot of research, a lot of studies, a lot of practice in the world of blended learning and personalized learning. And right now, uh, in the world of blended learning and strategically combining online and in-person instruction, uh, AI is a very hot topic. And with personalized learning, AI is a very hot topic. So kind of out of necessity, I have started to uh, delve more deeply into the world of artificial intelligence and what it means for our students, what it means for us as educators, and what it means for teachers who are going to have to now teach with this emerging technology. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear more about uh, the research that you've done very timely with the pandemic and all the things we've been dealing with. Yeah, I was uh, kind of fortunate that I started on the path to researching blended learning before the pandemic uh, happened. And so then my research became a, a very sought after commodity as we were uh, both going into and coming out of that pandemic and and thinking about, well, there were some things during the pandemic that worked really well. And how can we hold on to those things and bring them into our in-person practices? And of course, there were lots of things that teachers have decided they never want to do again. Let's let's stay as far away from uh, that technology as possible. <laughs> so we, we do have kind of competing camps. And some of them are saying, you know, I never want to teach online again. And some of them are saying, yeah, let's let's hold on to some of these things that worked really well. You know, I had students that normally didn't speak in class, but when they had that barrier of the screen between them, they were much more vocal in class than they've ever been before. They shared more than they ever had before. Some of them really came alive behind the camera. And so so those teachers are trying to explore that technology more. And I think those teachers, those teachers who have come out of the pandemic recognizing the benefits of mixed modality instruction are also the teachers who are becoming early adopters of artificial intelligence and thinking about, okay, in what new ways now can we really have a combination of in-person and technology-mediated instruction? That sounds like a whole nother podcast episode. Would you be game? <laughs> sure. Yeah. That'd be great. We'll have to touch base and see if we could do that. I know from an instructional designer point of view, AI has just been exploding every day in my full-time job, we're getting messages about AI and the newest and the latest and the, oh, did you see this app and this app? And wait, that app does the same thing that this app does, but maybe it's going to be free a little longer or something. Yeah. I, I am really excited to talk about the topic. And I have to admit, I've only been exploring chat, GPT, 
for about the last month or so. And I've been so impressed. And that's the free version. Oh, yeah. I think we may actually be a little bit behind the curve here. Well, you you actually can't catch up. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know with K-12 teachers what their status is with... You know, I think it's like with any other technology, you know, you're going to have some who are your early adopters and who are learning about it kind of outside of, you know, professional development and outside of just the realm of education. You know, they, Mm -hmm. they hear about it, they use it in their personal lives. And then as we often do as educators, they take it and think about how can I use this in the classroom? How can this help me do the things I want to do better in my classroom? And so... Yeah, there's absolutely some teachers out there using it, but I think it hasn't reached the masses yet. I don't think we've we've hit that point yet, but I think we will out of necessity in the next couple of years. That's great. Focusing on the generative AI, would you please define it? What artificial intelligence means? What are we saying when we say AI? And tell us a little bit about how generative AI is different from the other technology that we've been using in education for a few years. Like I'm picturing Grammarly. We've been using Grammarly Mm -hmm. for a while where it predicts and makes suggestions based on my grammar. Is that generative AI or is that something different? Yeah, so when we think about AI, when we think about artificial intelligence, it almost seems like maybe it's too simple because it's such a complex topic. But the definition is really right there in the name, right? That that idea of how can intelligence be artificial? And so AI is really any kind of computer system that can do things, perform tasks, provide outcomes that typically would require human intelligence. When we think about things that the human brain does really well, looking at data, learning from data, recognizing patterns, making decisions, uh, understanding natural language, these are things that computers in the past haven't been great at. Uh, if it's ones and zeros, if it's numbers, then computers can can handle that data and do lots of things with that data very quickly. And we've even trained a lot of computer systems to be able to handle language in various ways. Uh, can you look at language and can you create programs, create codes that's going to to have that computer system then make some predictions based on that language? And so if you think about something like Grammarly, that is, you know, a, an artificial intelligence system in that it is doing something that the human brain can do. It's looking at the pattern of your language and it's saying, oh, hey, based on the, the way that you're phrasing this, we think you need a comma here. Or did you mean for this noun to be plural or for this verb to have an agreement S, those kinds of things. And so Grammarly, yes, is an artificial intelligence model in that way. Um, But it's certainly a far cry from the generative pre-trained models that we are seeing with with things like ChatGPT. But AI has really been around for a long time. Even if you think back to, you know, was it Microsoft Word 97 where you had Clippy that would come on and say, hey, it looks like you're writing a resume. Can I give you some suggestions? Oh, yeah. Clippy was was artificial intelligence, right? Like Clippy was there to help us out. And when we knew that Clippy was our friend, Grammarly kind of took that to the next level of what what if we can create even more um, specific and general and, and far ranging models based on language. The big leap that we're having now with generative AI is that generative AI really focuses on creating content 
in the form of, you know, it can be text, it can be images, can be music. I saw an article earlier today about uh, Zelda Williams, who's upset that generative AI is now recreating the voice of her father, Robin Williams. And and what that means for for her and her family and for media, but but it's this idea that machines can can now create text, image, and music. And, and before, you know, Grammarly wasn't creating the text for you. You were you were still the the creative engine behind it. But it could come in and recognize what you were doing and help out. But that generative pre-trained model that the GPT stands for, generative pre-trained transformer, is able to take questions is able to take language and really translate this and generate that uh, extemporaneous text. So that's when we think about ChatGPT, that's what ChatGPT does. Um, But there's other AI out there that can do that same kind of generation with images or with music or with videos or with uh, presentations. And that that's having a a big impact on on the market and a big impact on, on education, because now we're seeing an artificial intelligence producing the kind of creative outputs that before was limited to human intelligence. Yeah. Oh, that's a great explanation. Thank you. I think a lot of people in education are worried about in AI academic integrity, because as you just explained, Grammarly takes what you've already created and just helps you improve it. Generative AI now actually can write it for us. And does a pretty good job in many ways of writing it for us. Uh, Yeah, and a very good job in many ways. And so much so that these devices are these software, they're being coded to try to detect when it's being used, but they're not working. That The detectors of AI are not going to be effective as they try to keep up with what we're doing in this process. What are your thoughts on academic integrity? How do we deal with this in education? Do we just ban AI completely or? Yeah, so we asked a similar question 25 years ago when uh, this technology called the internet started to become widespread. Of, oh my gosh, students can have access to people who, who can do the work for them and students can just look up the information. They can just Google the question and and now we have that have that answer. And there, of course, was a, a camp that said, well, we just need to ban the Internet. We just have to make sure that the Internet doesn't come into our classrooms. Uh, and of course, they were very successful. And that's why we don't use the Internet today. No, they were they failed spectacularly. Right. Uh, the the Internet it became everywhere. And, and so I have had this conversation a lot with with colleagues lately that, you know, if you're saying, hey, can we stop talking about A.I.? Can we can we put A.I. on the back burner? We can. But that is the equivalent to someone saying, hey, I think this Internet thing is a fad. I think it's going away. I, I don't think we have to, to figure out how, how to learn from it. So that's part one, is that we, we can't really ignore artificial intelligence. We can't ignore what AI is capable of because our students aren't ignoring it. The world's not going to ignore it. And in the same way that we had to prepare our students for a world that was now connected across the globe, we're going to have to prepare our students for a world of artificial intelligence. The biggest difference between the internet and artificial intelligence is we could create systems that could look and see, okay, was this copied from the internet? Is this something that has been plagiarized? Is it copied from someone else who's taken the course and submitted something previously? But AI is moving at such a fast pace that by the time people are listening to this podcast, even if we publish it the minute we're done, 
uh, AI has already changed. And we, you know, in, in some cases, yeah. we almost need AI to start creating podcasts that update AI and, and it will very soon. <laughs> oh no, that's going to take yeah. my job. Uh, well, we hope not um, because we, we were hoping that you know, there will always be that need for for a human touch. Um, but when it comes to to things being able to identify, okay, this was written by artificial intelligence, they just can't keep pace. And so we're not going to be able to rely on those things um, in, in the same way that we would rely on something, a plagiarism checker like, like Turnitin, for example. So there's two things that we can do. Uh, number one is we can have that conversation of, well, how have we ever known that students were honest with their work? You know, anytime we assign homework, anytime we give students a task to complete where they're not doing it in front of us, how can we know for sure that they're doing it? And we can't. Um, There have always been people willing to pay someone to write an essay. There have always been people uh, willing to, um, you know, cheat on an exam. There have always been assignments that we give students that their parents complete for them at home, uh, especially in in the K-12 world. Yeah. And so so that's part number one is, is how have we ever truly known that that students were being honest uh, in their academic assignments. And what we have seen, the, the ways that we have overcome that is, you know, some universities still have a testing center. They still have proctored exams. They still have no devices. You have paper, you have pencil. You're going to go sit in, in a, a hall that is the size of four or five gymnasiums at a desk. And, and you're going to take this as people walk around. And it seems medieval to us now, but it was the, the easiest solution to make sure like, OK, no, th- this is actually what these students are capable of. And I think we're going to see a return to that. I was actually over in, in Plum Hall the other day and saw one of my colleagues walk out of, class, out of a classroom with a stack of blue books. And that's something I haven't seen for, for 15 years, you know? Oh, my. Just a, a stack of handwritten essays. And I said, oh, my gosh, what, what have you got there? And she explained in simple terms, this is the only way I can, I can know that these are valid assessments, right? Is if I have my students come to class and we use class time now to, to complete those assessments. So, so that's really number one, is I think we're going to see a return to the handwritten test. And you might be thinking, oh, but that's going to take away all of my technology tools. That's going to take away my ability to, to quickly grade things and put a pin in that because AI has an answer. Um, <laughs> so that's number one is, is we, can, we can go back to that idea of, of proctored exams, in-person exams. You show me what you can do with a writing utensil and a piece of paper. Number two is if your assessment is something that can be completed via a Google search, you need to rethink that assessment. Oh, yeah. If your assessment is, is something that AI can easily recreate, we need to rethink that assessment. Yes, it can now be a creative engine in a way that previously only humans could, but there are lots of things that AI can't do. It doesn't have personal experiences to pull from. It doesn't, you know, it can't talk about a time in eighth grade when you were given a test that you thought was unfair and how that helped motivate you now, as a teacher, to create tests that are going to be more fair, tests that are going to ask questions, for example, about the distance between home plate and second base when you don't have a knowledge of baseball. All right. And so we can we can really look for these deeper assessments. We can look for things that are going to be more personalized. We can look for things that are going to build on our students' background experiences, their knowledge, their goals. And yes, they can train AI to do those things. 
Um, and that's one of my favorite uses of AI is that you can go into a generative AI like ChatGPT and say, okay, pretend you're an eighth grade student in an English class writing an essay about the dangerous addictions of video games. Include citations. And I can give all of this pre-training to ChatGPT and it will write an essay as if it is that person. But what it can't do is then immediately evaluate it. Tell me whether or not that's good. And when we think about deep learning, we can think about Bloom's taxonomy and how do we move students from those lower levels of remember and understanding to those higher levels of applying, analyzing, and evaluating. I think creating, we're going to have to put a pin in for now because AI can create. Uh, artificial intelligence can now be that creative engine. But that evaluation is still something that AI can't do very well. And so when we create those deeper assessments and move to those higher uh, levels of thinking, uh, we're going to be able to create assessments that, yes, students can use AI to assist them, but AI is not going to be able to, to carry the load for them. That makes sense. That, that's great. Thank you for explaining how that's different. I was thinking about the in-person testing in the paper, and I was going, well, how does that work in an online class? But I think that's a question I will bring up to you in our next podcast episode when we talk about blended learning. So we'll hold that thought, or as you said, put a pin in it, right? Academic integrity. Well, you mentioned a little bit of the concerns about using ChatGPT or other AI. They have their limitations. They can't do everything. What would be some concerns that you would recommend instructors be aware of or some stuff that they probably shouldn't use AI to do for them? One of the first cases I saw of a student using AI actually came over the summer when I was teaching a graduate course. And it was, you know, I had this, it was an online class. I had a discussion board set up and following best practices for blended and online discussions, I asked a question that was very divergent in nature, you know, pulling on background experiences. Everyone's going to have different background experiences. And the response that I got was very general. Uh, it didn't say, you know, specific details of, of, of the previous background, um, but said things along the lines of, you know, some teachers might experience this. And the fact that it lacked that personal touch is what flagged it for me as, oh, this is probably AI generated. And I asked the student, hey, I'm not upset at you, but did you use AI to complete this? And, and they admitted, yeah, I did. I, I just put the discussion prompt into to ChatGPT and I, <laughs> and I used what, what it gave me. I said, you know, if you need more time, I'm understanding with that. Just ask me for more time. You can have more time to make a post. But you know, like it, this lacks the personal touch that we're that we're looking for in a discussion board post. We're trying to build that social presence as part of the class, and this this lacks that. I, I think those are the kinds of things that we can look for when we are trying to look for uh, red flags about AI. But the other thing is, you know, we can look for places where there are misconceptions, and if it's a misconception with AI and the student doesn't catch it, well, then in a sense, it also becomes the student misconception. Uh, I'll give you an example of an assignment I gave to my students just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this was for an undergraduate class in classroom management, and I wanted them to be able to demonstrate their understanding of Kunin's principles of classroom management. Things like withitness, do you, do you have a sense of what's going on in the class? The ripple effect, if I you know correct one student's behavior, does that ripple out to other students who are showing that misbehavior? 
things like building in momentum or overlapping, you know, having the class move at a pace that keeps up engagement or creating multiple tasks that are going on in class at the same time. Well, ideally, the best way to measure that in an assessment is for my students into a class with students and, and see if, if they can recognize these things and implement these things in the classroom. But I don't always have access to a class that I can do that with. And so instead, what I have them do is I have them write a skit, write a skit in which a teacher is in a, in, in a classroom practicing these things, provide stage directions that, you know, explain where we see withitness, where we see things like group alerting. And a lot of students, as you might expect, were like, I don't know, short, write a skit. That's really outside my comfort zone. Oh. No, I'm a, I'm a math major. Or I'm a science major. Or I'm a PE major. What, what do I know about writing skits? <laughs> and I said, great, let's have ChatGPT do this for us. And so in the instructions for the assignment, I have an example of what ChatGPT was able to produce using the instructions from that assignment. Oh. And then we go through it as a class and say, what did it get right and what did it get wrong? And so now we've immediately jumped up to that analysis level of understanding, right? Going back to Bloom's taxonomy, we're able to say, okay, ChatGPT said this is withitness. Do we agree? Well, um, no, I think for it to really be withitness, they, you know, they would have to, there, something wrong would be having to happen in the classroom and the teacher would have to notice it. It's like, good. And so we can have this kind of conversation that helps prepare them for their assignment. And I said, if you want to use ChatGPT to help you write this, feel free. But no, you're going to have to go back. It was only about 60% accurate. You're going to have to go back and really make sure that each one of these examples is accurate. So while they might not be operating completely at that really strong applying level, they're almost skipping over that and going to more of that analysis and evaluation level of, is this example, is this a good example? And can I use that? What I tell all of my colleagues is, if you're worried about AI being able to complete your assignments, go and have AI complete your assignments. Go, go plug in your assignment to JetGPT and see what it gives you. Because A, it's going to better prepare you for what your students are doing. B, it's going to provide you with some really good learning materials. And C, it's going to help you understand if there are any things that are unclear in your assignment instructions. And so it's a tool that can be really valuable to us when we use it in the right way. Okay. All right. Now, I know that one of the challenges with ChatGPT is the lack of citations. So it doesn't tell us where it gets its information from. So it makes it really hard to know if you don't know anything about the topic, whether it has it right or not. Is that correct? Yeah, and I would even go beyond ChatGPT. I mean, this is a problem that is just universal in artificial intelligence. There was a news story that I heard. It's been oh, several weeks, maybe even a month or more now of a new hit song that had come out from an artist that nobody even knew was working on new material. And the artist said, yeah, this sounds great, but it's not me. This was, it was completely AI generated. No. They were able to feed in, you know, all of the artist's music, the, the sounds, the rhythms, the lyrics, and AI was able to reproduce a new hit song based on that. No way. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're going to start seeing new hits from the Beatles soon. Oh my goodness. This is the world that we live in. You know, Elvis can have a, a new record again soon and. Going back to that idea that I brought up earlier about Zelda Williams and her dad, Robin Williams, like this is this is a concern for some artists. You know, what does it mean if 
somebody can now put out the Ed Sheeran version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And Ed Sheeran has nothing to do with it. You know, he 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 doesn't yeah. produce it. It's it's just pulling on the sound of his songs, the sound of his voice. So yeah, in that case, it's you know, you can say, Oh, this sounds like sounds like Ed. They probably ran Ed's music through here. But in a case of images, it becomes really problematic because we don't know whose art are they pulling from to create these new images. A lot of artists have been really upset about the way that AI is being used to I would say offload if I was being optimistic, um, but, you know, replace the need to to have artists do the work for you. And like you said, text is much the same way. We do know how the generative pre-trained models are working when you insert a question. It's looking at all of its banks of information. I mean, ChatGPT runs off of huge servers that cost millions of dollars to run. And ChatGPT4 runs off of servers that cost tens of millions of dollars to run. And that's, I believe, oh. is per month. But it's pulling all of this text uh, and, and bringing it together in a conglomeration. But we don't necessarily know if that text is trustworthy. And so for things like that, the concern really becomes, well, how do we know anything is trustworthy on the internet? When you see a, a post on social media or you see an article that you agree with based on your experience, how are you fact checking it? And we'll need to do that kind of similar fact checking uh, with ChatGPT and with artificial intelligence. Um, now, hopefully in the near future, artificial intelligence gets to the point that like Wikipedia is. If you remember in the early days of Wikipedia, we were saying, well, you can't use this because yeah. this is crowdsourced information. We don't know if it's trustworthy. And now you go to Wikipedia and everything has a footnote. Everything has a source. And it's crowdsourced, but what's crowdsourced is the reliability, not necessarily the information. Now, there's plenty of stories of people going in, playing pranks and changing Wikipedia pages, uh, but eventually things get sorted out again. I would not be surprised if we see artificial intelligence doing the same thing very soon, where it's going to start to be able to pull in together some of those footnotes. Uh, now, something else that you can do with it is you can feed it the information you want to pull from, say, hey, here's an article that we are reading. Will you analyze this article, pull out uh, the five key ideas, summarize those for me so that I can use them in a literature review or so that I can give those to students before they read the article? Uh, and so I think that is coming. But for now, uh, where artificial intelligence is, we, we do have to do that kind of that kind of check, that kind of how do we know that this is this is reliable or can we fact check this? Can we see uh, a secondary source that will support the ideas that it's giving us? That's great. I appreciate the heads up. And I am looking forward to when uh, ChatGPT and other AI include some citations in it. You've shared some examples of AI as an educator. Do you have any other examples of how you've used AI in your class? Oh, yeah. The one that I shared about creating a student work is, I mean, that's a really low level example that, that I think is a really easy entry point because uh, it can really kind of surprise you and show you what it's capable of. But my favorite uses of AI, and for all of the students out there who are listening right now, um, plug your ears. <laughs> I actually use ChatGPT to provide a lot of my students with detailed, personalized, growth-oriented feedback. And all I have to do is I, I train the, the AI. Let me see if I can find an example. But I train the AI... Uh, to really look for and and understand the kinds of things that I would be assessing if I were 
assessing it myself if I were going to do it without the assistance of AI. So here's an example of feedback that I've done uh, recently for uh, an assessment class where we will, at the end of the semester, talk about how to provide good feedback. So I say to ChatGPT, please provide students with one paragraph of feedback according to the following guidelines. Uh, and there's two things there that I do that we should always make sure we do when we're working with AI. Um, I set up that I'm going to give it guidelines. Uh, and I say, please, because when it takes over the world, we want it to be kind to us. <laughs> and so I said, please provide students uh, with one paragraph of feedback according to the following guidelines. And then here are the guidelines. You are providing undergraduate students with feedback on their reflection of the week's learning. The learning is part of a college-level teacher preparation course about secondary data and management. Students enrolled in the course are on pace to become middle school or high school teachers. Write the feedback as if you are a professor of secondary education teaching a course about the importance of data and assessment in the high school and middle school context. Additionally, the student's reflection should contain two paragraphs. The first paragraph should be an open reaction to a reading about what we should assess in secondary contexts. The second paragraph should be specifically apply the ideas of what we assess to their specific content areas and provide at least one example of assessment in their area. The feedback should contain a response to their main ideas and suggestions for improvement or further learning. If they do not include a content area or details to support their rules, uh, then remind them that those need to be included. Additionally, thank them for taking the time to complete the assignment. Here is the reflection, and then I copy and paste the student's work in. Wow. And do you remove the student's name and, and identifying information? Uh, yes, absolutely. I would never put anything into uh, artificial intelligence that you wouldn't post to an open social media platform. Okay. So, you know, if you're not going on to uh, Facebook or Instagram or X or formerly known as Twitter and saying, hey, can everybody help me grade uh, Susie's uh, question? If you're not doing that, then don't put Susie's name into to ChatGPT. Okay. And in the same way as we often do when we write educational reports, uh, you can use a pseudonym if it's something that, that you need to. And I have an example of that as well, where a student reached out to me and said, hey, I'm applying for this scholarship. Could you write me a recommendation letter? And I said, yep, I can have it to you in about 30 minutes. I took their resume. I've looked at the highlights. I put that in ChatGPT and I said, hey, write a, a scholarship letter for Susie Q. And I listed just a bullet of all of her achievements. And then it cranked out a recommendation letter that I was then able to take and tailor in some small ways to give to the scholarship committee. But with this feedback, I mean, ChatGPT does a great job of saying, thank you for sharing your insights on the importance of varied assessment methods and the balance between knowledge and skills and education. And it can provide me with, with two paragraphs of really good feedback that I would not have the bandwidth to provide to my students uh, otherwise. Now, I still go through and I tweak some things and make sure that it aligns with best practices and with what we're teaching about in class and that it aligns with, you know, readings and that it, it's not trying to be too harsh or, or too lenient, but it gives me a base to work off of. And, you know, uh, yeah, one of the things that it's really opened up my practices for is providing feedback to students who do things well. You know, it used to be that if students did things well, the feedback that I gave them might be, hey, great job, keep doing this. I really like this one aspect. Uh, and then they would see a really good score and know they were on the right pace. But this can be give me much more targeted feedback of, hey, your application of these ideas is well considered. Uh, you recognize that not all students learn the same way. You, you have an intention to provide diverse learning opportunities. You've included quizzes and self-guided research projects to demonstrate a learner-centered approach. 
You have emphasized the development of critical thinking. And it, it can really say, you know, overall, here we go. Your reflections showcase a thoughtful approach to assessment and teaching in science education. And I encourage you to continue exploring and refining these ideas as you prepare to become an educator. Wow. That sounds great. I would not have the bandwidth to do that for all of my students. But when it's a copy and paste and edit job, I I have the bandwidth to do that. That's awesome. That that is so cool. And that's the free version of ChatGPT at this point? That is the free version of ChatGPT. That is ChatGPT uh, 3.5. That was actually using a version that was uh, current as of August. There's a, a newer version now that can still do those same things. Okay. Uh, just updated it last week. And the update last week um, has been creating some buzz because now ChatGPT3 can see, hear, and speak. Before it was restricted just to text. And now they've opened it up in the same way that your uh, Echo and your Alexa, your Siri, your Google Home Assistant, your Hey Google can now hear your voice and respond to you. And because it's pulling on this language model, as opposed to this more analytical model that we get with those things, you can now have full conversations with ChatGPT. The example that they shared uh, of it being able to see, this is what they're calling computer vision, was... Uh, sending a picture of your bicycle to ChatGPT and saying, hey, how do I lower the seat on my bike? No and ChatGPT was saying, it looks like you don't have a quick release switch, so you're going to need to find an Allen wrench. Can you go ahead and show me a picture of your toolbox? No. And then you take a picture of your toolbox and it can say, oh, your Allen wrench is this item over here. Or it looks like you don't have an Allen wrench that's going to work. Wow. Would you like me to suggest a place that you can go to get that? And so this is something that's really interesting to think about because we're talking about artificial intelligence being able to to replicate human intelligence. Humans have five senses, and now ChatGPT has developed two of the five. Wow. Uh, so that's that's forty percent of the way to human intelligence, right? If ChatGPT learns to feel, smell, and and taste, we could be in a lot of a lot of trouble here. <laughs> oh my goodness! And of course, there's AI that can do those things. We have you know AI in home systems that control the temperature, right? And that AI can predict, okay, you usually want the temperature to be a little cooler at night, so I'm going to turn down the temperature tonight based on what it feels like in here. And so to a sense, we already have that feeling. Scientists have developed an artificial intelligence that can take matter and analyze it to see based on its components, which is very similar to taste and smell, to see if it is terrestrial or extraterrestrial, whether it's material that's from Earth or if it's from another planet. And those scientists have fed all the data into AI and the AI model works, but they're not sure how. Uh, So that's a little scary. Yeah. Uh, We're getting to the point where AI is able to start training itself in some ways. We have stories of AI lying to humans, intentionally lying to humans. And so there, there are things that we should be concerned about, but there's a lot of things that we can do that, you know, AI is going to be able to free us up to do so much more of those things as teachers that we want to have time to do. Like, yes, we need to grade, we need to provide feedback, but we also need to be there next to students, motivating and engaging them in the learning. And so AI is going to be able to, you know, going back to that idea earlier of if I have to use the blue books and have students handwrite their essays, then that really, you know, takes away all of my technology tools, not with computer vision. Now, 
Now you can take a picture of that handwritten essay and ChatGPT can analyze it in the same way that it does text. Wow. We're seeing applications to education that are things that people have dreamed of for a long time, but we're really able to to seek to come to a fruition uh, for the first time. Self-assessment is going to become much more valuable practice than it ever has been before. Students can plug in their own work into to artificial intelligence and get targeted feedback on ways to improve. Uh, it does it for the teachers out there who are loathe creating lesson plans. Right now, ChatGPT does a pretty good job of creating a lesson plan. You can give it your objectives. It'll come up with activity ideas. It'll come up with assessment ideas. And it can even detail and create those activities for you. Wow, that is pretty awesome. And so... A free teaching assistant for every teacher. That's great. So we are running out of time for our podcast. And you mentioned things that ChatGPT can do. I know there's a ton of other websites out there that are written and directed specifically for teachers. Yeah, I mean, the difficulty with that is that, as I've said, AI, it's impossible to keep up with. So as soon as we start talking about tools, those tools become... Uh, outdated, but a lot of the uh, educational tools that we are used to using, things like Khan Academy, things like Canvas, like Google Classroom, they are working on creating their own AI based on the chat GPT model that's going to be able to help us, you know, really amplify our time with students. Some tools that aren't necessarily geared at teachers that I will mention because uh, they're so powerful. Gamma. Gamma will create slides. You can either copy and paste your own text in and then it will create a slide presentation for you. Or you can just have it take a swing at a topic that that you you need a slide presentation for. That has saved me tremendous amount of times in preparing for class where I can say, okay, here's the things we need to cover. Uh, I would help if we had slides. Let me throw this outline into Gamma and I can have slides, you know, five minutes later. Awesome. Colossian creates instructional videos. What I've done in the past is I've gone to ChatGPT and I said, hey, give me a description of how I could teach this topic. And then I take that and I say, if I wanted to create a video on that topic, could you create a transcript for the video? And then ChatGPT produces that transcript. Then I can take that transcript into something like Colossian and copy and paste it in. And it will create human looking, human sounding avatars that can deliver this instruction for me. Like I said, this is just going to touch and change so many avenues of what we do as teachers, as far as assessment goes, as far as planning goes, as far as providing feedback. It it really isn't a tool that can be ignored. Oh, that's great. So we will have links to those resources on our website. Do you have any advice for an instructor who's nervous about training AI, but is curious? Yeah, I would give all of you out there the same tips that I give to anyone when when we start talking about technology integration and really technology-mediated instruction. Um, The first one is start small. Choose one piece of your instruction, one thing that you wish you could improve in your practice and see how AI can help with it. Uh, Number two, don't go it alone. Find a friend. Use the buddy system. You're, You're traveling into the the deep, dark world of artificial intelligence. Find someone who can take that journey with you. Okay. Uh, And number three, take time to see what's possible. You know, if you haven't gone to chat.openai.com yet and just played with ChatGPT, seen what it can do, you know, have it write you a poem in the style of Shakespeare and then take that same poem and write it in the style of Emily Dickinson and in the style of Edgar Allan Poe and 
and really play with it and see what it can do. Have it plan your child's next birthday party. Oh, play with it and see what it can do, because it, it, it's through, you know, go back to that preschool idea of play to learn, go get into the technology and play with it and see what it's capable of, because then you will start to develop very easily those ways that you can see it applied to to your educational context. So start small, don't go alone, play with it and have fun. Oh, that sounds like great advice and very nice way to say farewell. I thank you so much for your time and joining us for the podcast today. Thank you, Dr. Short. It was great to be here and I look forward to the next episode. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode and will subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by the Teachers College at Emporia State University, featuring talks with experts and educators, addressing topics that can help you as an educator, a parent, and a person. We release new episodes every other Wednesday. You can get more information provided by our guests on our website, www.emporia.edu slash HWTT. We would appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us and share on Twitter with at HWTT underscore ESU. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for How We Teach This. If you would like to be a guest on our show or are willing to give us some feedback, please send us an email at HWTT at Emporia.edu. I'm Christy Dugan, the executive producer. You've been listening to How We Teach This. Thank you.